you, when you talk about the, the moment right now, the next minute of your life, like what's happening right now is all you can control. If you take care of the minute you're in, the years take care of themselves. You have to really fully understand that you are truly responsible for your own happiness. We have that negativity bias for a reason. Don't, don't lose it. Don't be stupid, but don't live in it when, when it's just not necessary. everybody, welcome back to the Mind Muscle Connection. I'm Joe Klimzeski with Tyler Weeb. Today, we're going to talk about negativity bias, which is a thing. You could, you could do a search for that, and you're going to get all kinds of information and research. But that actually wasn't what I intended to do today. It's, it's going to steer that direction because I think that's a great starting point, as I like to say, biology first. But I'm going to lay this out, if you're keeping score at home, in three categories. And if you do look up negativity bias, you're going to see that out of the hundreds of cognitive biases, even though this is kind of a latecomer, really didn't show up in research until about 20 years ago, uh, it's, it's one of the most foundational because evolutionarily, we know the brain wants to forget as much useless information as possible and of course remember the most critical well the most critical is what keeps you alive so you know i'm i always talk about my grandson because as like a, a new fresh little brain just developing you always see these really weird things and you know he's bumped his head enough times that he knows like to look out for things above him and he he became fearfully uh, afraid, or I should say, like terrifyingly afraid of water, because at some point, I'm sure he, you know, dumped a glass of water in his face in the bathtub, or maybe even slipped under the surface. So now, even taking him to a fountain downtown, like he sees that water, and he'll cling to me and he'll squeal, like no, 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 just shaking. I'm like, holy shit, this kid is afraid. Yeah. And then pretty soon, he takes his shoes off and he's in the water and he sees it's fun. But I mean, that initial response was like, wow, talk about a snapshot of negativity bias. And, and think, you know, go back to caveman days, right? Like, what did it take for the first human being to realize like water's bad? Like, hey, look, Harry just jumped in that lake and he never fucking came back. Like, that, there, there must be something down there. Must have been a witch. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's it. So we, we, so we created a religion around that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, like you learn. And so negativity is an incredibly useful thing, but it keeps us in that state where if you're a negative person, and this is where it really seeps into these next two categories. So, so first of all, just understand that a hyperactive amygdala, always being afraid, always being incredibly risk averse, everything's negative, everything's going to you know, get you, probably not a great place to live in the 21st century. You know, like super positive people, and we kind of learn some of those things either by self-help or because we just realize I don't want to be a negative person. That's kind of you know, draining. And it's just, it's, it's awful. So I can personally look at some of the happiest people around me who as an absolute, uh, just intentional practice, they ignore the negative, they ignore it. And as kind of a natural skeptic, I see that as kind of delusional. You're trying to insulate yourself away from bad things. So there's a middle ground. There's a useful pocket where, we need to be a little on guard, we need to be a little skeptical, but I certainly 
because my negativity bias is strong. I'm, I'm good at being negative. I, <laughs> I, I, I need to talk myself into being happy sometimes and being positive. So, so all that said, Tyler, I know we're going to really just kind of unravel this, but what, what are your first thoughts about the whole topic? Well, maybe, maybe you need to stop and smell the roses a little bit more, <laughs> yeah, but time. yeah. And I think, and, and that's kind of, um, you know, a question I've asked myself over the last couple of years, you know, I think with, this might be a little bit of a, a tangent, but with kind of the advent of, you know, a 24 hour news scroll now, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in this negative mindset and, it, it, you've got to ask yourself at what point is ignorance actually good? Like, right. They say ignorance is bliss. And I think to a point that is quite true because like you, you know, I can be a very you know skeptical look at it. Well, shit, like this is just the way it is. And you know what, that can be depressing and that can drag you into this negative mindset because you got what's the point, right? You see all of this, you know, destruction and death and, and all this negativity around us. It, 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 you have to be like, I like what you said, having this intentional practice of being positive and, and having that positive outlook of life of glass half full type of thing, because it, it's easier. I think, again, we kind of talk about how easy it is to do as little as possible, right? We're, we're just kind of naturally want to do that. We don't want to work hard for things. We have to push ourselves to, to work hard kind of in the same vein. I think at this point, it's, it's very easy to just slip into this mindset of having this, you know, negativity bias that now then starts to permeate, you know, throughout the rest of your life, because, you do get so indenuated with it and just in your face, in your face. And it's very hard to avoid. And so, you know, to take that actual conscious effort to whatever, put the phone down. Okay. I'm only going to look at the news Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or, you know, whatever that looks like, you know, practicing meditation, self-care, you know, that has to be intentional. You have to put that work into it because it is going to help to bring into that balance. And I think for myself, you know, it really then started to challenge me of like, okay, like maybe we do need to be a little bit ignorant, not in a negative sense, but just to kind of protect your, your, your own self and, and how you view the, the world and, and everything else around you. I was doing a live chat, just one of the, the support things I do for our clients and coaches. And um, the topic came up of just sleep. Somebody had a question about like, I just having such a hard time getting sleep. And so we went through all the biochemical things, caffeine and so forth, but most times, and I used to struggle with this when I was going through a period of anxiety, you know, th there's just that rumination and you're catastrophizing things. And uh, one of our coaches or clients kind of chimed in with some great advice. You know, she said, okay, you know, I've, I've, I've struggled with this and I've had to have this routine where I do these things. I go to bed around the same time and I do this, I do this, and it's kind of a wind down process. But one of the things she said, which is interesting is I've talked with my husband and he's not allowed after dinner to bring up anything serious. Like, like we're not going to have any serious conversations about our marriage, about life, like, you know, philosophical things. Like I need, I need my mind to be quiet. And I, that, that's what you're getting at in terms of having some, some actual training and, and neurologically we do change our brain. That's, that's what mindfulness and meditation does. But I, I do want to come back to that, that middle ground where, 
for, for lifters, for bodybuilders, for athletes. I, I see such an incredibly uh, almost sweet naivete with beginners. <laughs> so think of like, like I have a friend. I want my pro card. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but, okay, so that's the exact, the exact opposite. But for example, one of my friends was in here training with me today and he's doing his first powerlifting contest ever, first meet. And, you know, he's, you know, he's excited. He's nervous. He's got his goals. I mean, I just want to get used to it. I want to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hear my lift totals. I'm going to shoot for has no expectation of doing any certain way, not winning, et cetera. And so he's almost expecting, or at least he's making himself okay with a real negative outcome. If he categorized it that way. For him, the positive outcome is just going, just doing it, just having the challenge, seeing what it's like. But again, imagine if your expectation was so high that a negative impact is louder, it's more amplified, and that's part of negativity bias. We we feed into that, and so I, I think of like the Stoics. They're they're, they're kind of known for embracing the suck, you know, they're, you know, back in the day, they were like, you know, Hey, death is a good thing. You should welcome death because if you look forward to death and you're going to take advantage of every day, you're going to, you are going to stop and smell the roses. And, and they put emphasis on work and discipline. So you almost expect things to be hard. And then that just kind of brings the temperature of your brain down a bit. And that, that also feeds into negativity bias. Yeah, it's, it's almost like when you're setting yourself up, like with these high, high expectations, you're setting yourself up for this like huge bounce back towards that negative bias where, hey, you know what, like someone who is a beginner, you know, say they're going into that first powerlifting meet and they're expecting to win the whole thing of, in their weight category, as opposed to, hey, yeah, like your, your client, I'm going to go in, I went through the process. This is my first one. I'm going to set some PRs. I'm going to learn a lot from this experience. And yeah, I mean, if I win awesome, but you know what, my first time it may not happen, man. Now that what that's going to do is just help him. Once he does go through it, give this push a motivation. And then now he can really start to raise those expectations because now he has a building block. If he wants to continue in powerlifting now, it's like, Oh, okay. I know where I am in the hierarchy of these power lifters. Now I have something concrete to work towards. Okay. Now we can start to shift some of that expectancy as we start to gain experience, as we start to take things maybe a little bit more seriously. And we move from that beginner to intermediate to advanced stage. So there's almost, yeah, those steps that you have to take. And by having, I think a, a realistic view of, you know, where yourself, where you're, you know, whoever you're working with, you know, tells you where you're at, you know, you got to have those people that trust you, man, you're almost now setting yourself up down the road to be able to push harder, to have more motivation, to have more drive instead of, Hey, like I thought I was going to get first. I am the worst power lifter ever. I'm never doing this again. Well, man, maybe we should have had different expectations, more realistic expectations because now we know where we need to go, what we need to do. It drives everything else that we're going to do from here on out. Yeah. It, um, it makes me think of when, when I was feeling pretty anxious and it was kind of a biochemical thing that was happening, you know, as neuroscientists say, what, what fires together, wires together. So I was teaching myself to be anxious in certain moments. I, I would get this hyper negativity 
a stimulus that shouldn't have created anxiety in me would because I had just hyper catastrophized that. And so I, I literally went through two or three therapists. I, I was reading books. I was doing meditation. I was doing all this stuff to, to physically try to, to create this better environment in my brain. And it worked like a charm. I, I, I created a way that I could almost self-hypnotize. I could self-hypnotize myself to sleep. I, I just completely got out of that. And now recently I heard a couple podcasts where, where some psychologists talked about even easier, um, more fruitful ways of doing it just by self-talk. Like, let's say you're, you're just kind of working on not being as negative at the end of every day. Think of the, you know, think of something great that happened that day. Think of what makes you happy. And that was part of my neuro, you know, I would say almost neurochemical recreation where I would create this happy space in my brain. I, I would create these images in my mind and that would be where I would go every time. And that's how you kind of create that hypnotic state. Um, but I, I think again of people that are just naturally so happy, you know, my wife is one of them. I have a client right now that I swear she's the happiest person on the planet. And, and again, I, I think, okay, like, are you, are you okay moving toward the center where you accept negativity well, or are you really, really just delusional? And I, and I think they're just masters at realizing I'm a lot happier if I'm happy. You know, life is a lot better if I just don't focus on those negative things. So, you know, it, it's hard for me because I'm always going to look at it from that negative side and try and climb my way out. But it, it's really a skill we can develop. Yeah, it's you have to, you know, you have to really fully understand that you are truly responsible for your own happiness, not just in the things that you externally do but the things that you internally do as well, you know, we're, we're so conditioned to buy the next thing, you know, next dopamine hit, next dopamine hit in this external. And we, I mean, look at the, you know, the, the, the therapy levels we have nowadays and, and how many people are having to, you know, go those routes. And that's, it's an amazing thing. I'm glad we're having this and making it a, a, a normal discourse within the public, but you know, how much of it is because we've kind of forgotten to have this internal happiness as well of, yeah, I can, if, maybe for the lack of a better term, you know, create my own dopamine hit whenever I want by just having that self-talk. And it's having to now, you know, we come back to it, do the work, re-internalize, rework that brain chemistry to, to start doing that. And it's, man, we've, it's just, it's so easy to, to go that other route. Well, I think part of my recovery from that was one of the very first steps of, of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is if you can define it, if you can name it, if you can visualize it, if you see that it's a thing, my negativity is bad. My negative, well, that's kind of negative. I shouldn't say negative. <laughs> uh, you know, my negativity is not useful. It's I'm, I'm overusing that evolutionary yeah. skill and trait. Um, see, see how negative I am. I even right? it's just, and not even thinking about it. And that's how easy it is because it's so grooved into our way of thinking like you really have to have that gap to catch yourself well here's another advantage i have just because of my time on the planet there's research that shows people's happiness is really really high when they kind of reach adulthood 20 to 25 and then it craters and then you become your happiest ever once you get over about age 50 and i swear that's exactly correct. And it, A, it's because your kids are grown and they're not sucking the life out of you. 
Um, but B, you realize, you know, I'm, I'm kind of winding things down. Like I look at all the things that I would strive for and work hard for. And I feel responsible to my clients, my employees, my partners, I, you know, all of this stuff. I just like, go, go, go. I told a friend of mine who also owns a business today that in 25 years of business, I've only taken one two week vacation, never, never have taken more than a week off except that one time. And I'm like, like, why? Like, why? Because I've just, I felt like I had to, and that's, that's my problem. That wasn't true, but that was that hypervigilance. And so I, I would hate for people to have to wait until they're later in life to truly stop and smell the roses. I, I would hope everybody could learn these things, but if you do see that on the horizon, like why, why do people get happier? They just have that mindset of, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, I don't have all of these self-constraining boundaries that I thought I had to put up around me. And, and again, that, that means that I'm, I'm still able to tend to that evolutionary bias of, I need to be careful. I need to not take risks that I can't afford. And I need to be vigilant in some areas and not be stupid. But again, in my life today, am I just overusing that trait? And, and I think for a lot of people who struggle with this, the answer is a resounding yes by choice. Yeah. And as you were saying that, like when they, you know, they reach this and they crash, I mean, I should technically be in my crash. So, you know, you're, you're crashing. You're yeah, there. I'm crashing right now. Yeah. <laughs> These podcasts might get a little dark as, uh, as the year goes on, but no, but yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of just makes me think of, you know, like you say, you know, how, how do we bottle this up and, and sell it so that we can do it before we hit that, you know, that 50, because I think, you know, some things are going to just come with experience and, and being that old and, and having that much time and, and doing the things that you do, that'll certainly be part of it. But I still firmly believe that it's quite possible to tap into that, you know, uh, whatever, call it half of that happiness um, from an earlier age, you know, tap into that side that you don't need that experience. And a lot of that comes with a lot of that self-reflection therapy really starting to internalize, okay, like what, what is that talk? What am I telling myself? Where is that self-behavioral uh, talk going with, you know, with me? And, and how can I start to create like those images that you talked about? I kind of want to talk about once we're done here, a little bit more about that, but, you know, can we start to just do that now? And I think, hell yeah, you can certainly do that now. You can do that for your training. Like, I mean, how many pro athletes now talk about just that visualization, like they'll go over, certain plays in their heads hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of time to groove and they'll practice it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times so that it's that second nature and they don't even have to boom think about it anymore so again we kind of come back to this there's a lot of hard work at the beginning but now if we can get that into just be our second nature maybe you and i can you know become that natural happy person like your wife <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's my aspiration right there. Yeah. Be like crazy, get a T-shirt, be crazy. So I'm going to wrap this up with a, a quick little story of a client that I, I spoke to today as well, and I'm going to tie it to you know you kind of jokingly use that colloquialism, you know, stop and smell the roses. One of my clients who just turned 40 this year is at true like peak physical performance, like strong as an ox, looks like an NFL linebacker, you know, everything is going well in life. And he asked me today, it was really an interesting, subtle remark, like. 
when do you start losing it? Like how much muscle mass will I lose? How much strength? And you could see like he he's kind of reached the pinnacle of where he thinks he can be. And he's already feeling that fear, that anxiety, that that negativity bias of I can't, you know, something bad's going to happen. Like I can't stay at this great, you know, place, uh, you know, too, too long forever. And uh, and, you know, just being able to have the conversation in a relative sense, like, you know, the average person loses a pound of lean body mass a year after, you know, they're in their thirties and so forth. But, you know, I, I can't squat and deadlift 500 pounds anymore. Obviously I've lost some strength. I've lost some lean body mass, but compared to other 52 year olds, I pretty, pretty damn well. And, you know, when I get to 60, when I get to 70, like it, you know, it's not all about what you're losing. It's about where you are in that moment. And, you know, these are ancient, um, you know, Zen kind of, of mantras, but you, when you talk about the, the moment right now, the next minute of your life, like what's happening right now is all you can control. You should be happy, be present. Uh, you know, all of those things that become so cliche, man, if you can really actually embody that, uh, there, there is, I'm going to borrow this from a Ted talk. I heard, uh, again, something, you know, probably very Buddhist, uh, if you take care of the minute you're in, the years take care of themselves. Hmm. And I think that's a really big part. You know, I'll, I'll be negative and I'll, I'll, I'll let that bias swing me when there's true risk. But if there's not real risk, if I'm just making that shit up in my head, is it stealing the present happiness and self-acquisition, self-attainment uh, I could really have? And the answer, of course, is yes. So, you know, we have that negativity bias for a reason. Don't, don't lose it. Don't be stupid, but don't live in it when, when it's just not necessary. So, Perfect. All right, man. Well, I will let you guys go. We will see you next time in the mind muscle connection until then really practice some of these things. If you can take away one nugget of information from each one, Tyler and I would definitely, you know, know that our, our chats are worthwhile here and keep making comments. I know I get people who email me a lot of my clients uh, love, especially that what we're talking about Tyler. So thank you. We'll see you guys next time in the Mind Muscle Connection.